The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, this is Chris coming from the editing room. Just wanted to give you a heads up. The audio quality is a little bit different this week. Uh, We had a guest, which was super exciting, and that meant that I had to set up my two microphones set up in a different room. Uh, which was closer to a window, and it was really hot, so I kept the fan running, and I had not used the double microphones before, so the levels are a little bit weird. Everything's still listenable, there's not, like, aggressive background noise, but if you notice a difference in the sound quality, that's what's up. Uh, I'll be back to using my regular setup on future episodes when we don't have an actual, uh, for lack of a better term, in-studio guest, and in the meantime, I'll work on improving my game and my my audio knowledge to make that smoother next time we do have an in-person guest. Uh, but without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. Enjoy our, uh, our guest, and this one was really fun. I hope you like it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And we are here to talk with a guest this week. We we finally managed to pin down a friend of ours uh, to come in and, and have a conversation with us. So we're joined this week by our friend Will. Will, say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. Uh, Will is a friend of ours from school. He is also... I was about to list off everything you do, and I was realized I don't even know if I know everything <laughs> that you do. So, Will, why don't you talk a little bit about what what you are and how you do in this world well from about 2014 to 2016 i was an uber driver um it was a it was a fine gig um no i am a uh, theatrical director <laughs> and uh, playwright with a focus on on plays for middle schoolers uh and then i have more recently become a architecture photographer and masonry expert focusing on brick and specifically the brick in chicago will runs it started out as it started as a weird little passion project. I um, I designed a tour for an organization around noticing the world, and I started to just notice that in Chicago we have a lot of similar building layouts, um, but the brick that covers them is, is usually the thing that gives them their distinctive look. And so I started mm-hmm. noticing those textures, and I took pictures, and then I... You know, while Chris and I were working at the same summer camp, asked people uh, if they would follow an account. And then uh, almost three years ago, three years ago this coming week, uh, I started the page Brick of Chicago. We gave you a lot of crap for it. A lot of crap for it. Some of of our coworkers from that summer did start following me for a couple months because they thought it was just a joke. Um, (laughs) And I started posting photos and that led to... You know, me feeling like I should probably know what I'm doing, and that <laughs> led to a lot of research. That is, see me in podcasting. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And so I'm still there's still a ton of research. I um, I just discovered that through the Chicago Public Library, you can get a free subscription to JSTOR, um, the journal online journal storage. And so last weekend, I downloaded about 15 different JSTOR articles on bricks and uh, learned a bunch more from that. Yeah, it's a wild. I mean, there's you pick any one thing, and you can really discover a ton of stuff you had no idea was there and i I picked brick it's actually really funny you mentioned that because uh 
last uh, yesterday was my mother's birthday, and so uh, she took the family to a fancy restaurant uh, mm-hmm. for us to eat. And my cousin, she was paying attention to the uh, the wooden like paneling on the roof, and mm. was I don't remember the term she used, but uh, apparently it's like repurposed wood from like you know old farmhouses and oh, stuff, nice. and that's yeah, really like cool. a great demand for that, and it gives it that rustic feel. So it's just kind of funny that like I'm I'm going from wood paneling to bricks. <laughs> well, I mean you, the same thing happens with brick. You know, if you build a new building or a new restaurant and you want brick, a lot of times what you get is. They take the bricks that are made from the Chicago soil, which are called Chicago commons, which are red to pink to yellow and just have a ton of beautiful character to them. Uh, and they, they made them from about 1870 to 1980. And they reclaim those and, and they'll reuse them in new buildings to give them that already lived in feel, that very rustic feel. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So welcome to our brick podcast. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> we are going to sort of take advantage of both Will's attention to detail and time spent looking at kind of the stories that are told by buildings in the real world, but also Will's experience as a director and coming up with how to tell stories on a stage. And we're going to use that to talk about how environments can be used to tell stories and how in things like, let me put it this way, in a novel, especially something like fantasy or sci-fi, if you read George R.R. R. Martin or uh, Arthur C. Clarke, Arthur or... C. Clarke, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, I'm embarrassed because I'm blanking on the author who wrote Dune. Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert. I was thinking Herbert Miller, and I'm like, that's not even remotely right. Herbert Hoover. (laughs) Yes, President Herbert Hoover, famed author of Dune. Uh, They spend (laughs) so much time describing the scenery in verbose detail. You know, George R. R. Martin's descriptions of feasts are almost comical in how long. Feasts and penises for George. (laughs) That's all George wants. What a Um, feast. But when you move into mediums that don't allow that much text so plays films yeah. especially games you lo- you don't have the ability to go off on a paragraph tangent about like oh he knew that this building was the hollowed out shell of the church that he visited when he was a kid or whatever yeah and so they have to lean into visual shorthand they have to lean into telling a lot of that backstory that a lot of stories tell verbally through how the environments look and yeah. grounding that in sometimes the real world, sometimes just accepted knowledge about like, oh, it's a sci-fi movie. That means that things are going to look a certain way. Well, and so much of it comes to with how people interact with each other. You know, something I, uh, you know, I, I just taught a, a two-week playwriting camp with middle schoolers. And, you know, most of them are reading novels, but none of them have written a play before. And the thing a lot of them will do is they write copious stage directions describing the inner thoughts (laughs) of the characters. Oh boy. Which I tell them, you know, that's great. That's great to know, but the audience doesn't know that. So you have to see how do people engage with each other? How do, you know, how do people interact? How do people choose what to do uh, and respond to things? And I think you see that in video games a lot in terms of like, how powered your character is compared to another character and you know the, the the levels you need to grind or the things you need to do or you know we were talking about horizon zero dawn that's a game that has such incredible relationship building mm-hmm. uh and is very clear about how you interact with people uh in in various ways this just popped into my head sure um i do not have much directing experience i took a directing course in college yeah and, like I've done some voice directing, but that is the extent of it. But one thing that just popped into my head, and I was like, maybe we can go with this. One of the few things that I remember very clearly from that directing class was a discussion of when you're laying out a stage, building obstacles into the scenery. Yeah. So 
for example, you know, there's there's the constant thing of like, if a scene is about somebody who wants to leave and doesn't, obviously for one thing they don't actually want to leave because yeah. otherwise they would just walk off the stage. But what can you put into the st- the stage? What can you put there furniture wise or wall wise or actual physical obstacles? that give the people on stage things to move around with. And then my mind went to, like, a Mario level. Sure. Mario Maker 2 just came out. This is topical. We can't escape this video game hell. (laughs) Well, you see it, too, in, in like... I I, I often think in terms of, like, people on stage as Mm -hmm. the obstacles. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's physical things keeping them there, but there's also the people there and making sure every character on stage has a connection of a particular kind with every other person on stage that they are feeling something towards and drawn or, or repulsed in some way. And that, yeah, it's similar to Mario. That makes me think of like a Bioshock infinite where you've got that character who, um, what's her name? Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Yeah. 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 Who's following you the whole time. And, and a, a game where you've got a, uh, get someone somewhere you know that person is your obstacle and you know it, it becomes comical in the ways of when that character moves faster than your walking speed and slower than your running speed uh, <laughs> you know but in, in case Un- unintentional obstacle on oh, the part of the God, game exactly. but in a case like Bioshock Infinite is so great because you as you become more comfortable with her and she becomes more comfortable with you she stops being an obstacle and starts being an ally and someone you can use uh, and who can help you in that way. That made me then again make another logical leap. And Dylan, you can talk too. I feel like we're... No, I know. <laughs> no, this is this is fascinating. Okay. I'm, just, I'm, I'm listening because Will is doing my work for me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan just gets to put his feet up and take a break for this week's right, episode. Yeah. No, no, I, uh, I have a couple <laughs> things to contribute later. But like right now, yeah. I'm just... This is good stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, that put me in mind of another game that, Will, you brought up right before we started recording of... Uh, Portal 2. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. the way that not only are the Portal games just great in terms of like their level design is very iconic looking. It's all like stark white walls Mm -hmm. and uh, sort of self-assembling obstacles and like they're, they, you immediately know when you're looking at a screenshot from Portal if you've ever seen anything from that game. Mm -hmm. Um, But specifically Portal 2 in the way that the co-op levels work there's an entire campaign you can go through that is a two-player mode hmm. that i've never done that oh it's it's really good I've played not, a little bit of it it's really fun it's phenomenal because not only do does that mean that you are able to they're able to build more complex puzzles because you have two sets of portals to be working with each so player it, has, each player has their own portal. each player has their own oh, portal wow. gun uh so they're able to build a lot more complex things that really require coordination on yeah. the part of the player but then that in and of itself it plays out like those moments that you're talking about yeah, on stage yeah. with two people that are trying to work together, but also like sometimes it's 2 a.m. and you're playing with your friend <laughs> who's kind of a jerk and he doesn't. Yeah. Want, he decides to just you know be an asshole for 20 minutes. And that's that's the kind of co-op I love. That's the kind of multiplayer I love. I've I've, I've really struggled with another game, uh, uh, this new Super Smash Brothers, as mm-hmm. my roommate has it and is really good at it, and I like it. But when I play with him, he's just so good that if we're like doing a co-op together he's just killing all of them hey dylan do you want to do you want to call out post one of your friends from home? yeah yeah i knew you were looking at me <laughs> i could i could feel your gaze from chicago tell, tell us your pain dylan tell us your pain well no see I, i'm the good one you're the good one <laughs> no, can... but yeah i mean i love cooperative games like that where you each hold a slightly different piece that needs to be put together because that is you know that is just like just like a play just like a stage relationship each person needs something from someone else and 
the game can't be won, the play can't be over until they've either achieved that or failed spectacularly yeah. enough <laughs> that they need something else. Um, and I don't know, to, to stay on the tack of, of, of uh, you know, world building, I think both Portal 1 and Portal 2 do some of the best of that that I've seen. Um, you know, I think when I when I first played Portal 1, I really didn't, I knew it was a cool game and a, that people loved, but I didn't know enough about it where I saw that I knew the twist was coming at all. Mm. And so I was like, okay, well, this is just kind of a, a brief narrative around this puzzle game. And then when you're about to get dumped into the flames and suddenly you go behind everything. It's exquisite. It's exqu- Yeah, it's incredible because they've built this very clear world and then they've done an incredible job of building this behind the scene worlds. And they do, and Portal 2 spells it out even further with the found audio clips and the found... Yep. Um, you know, recordings and in Portal One you have a lot of like writing on the wall, which you know, the famous the cake is a lie. Yeah. Um and, <laughs> and, that- and so much of that is like the way they used uh Ellen McLean's performance as GLaDOS. Yeah. And like setting it up as like, oh, these are all canned recordings and then when they pull the rug out from under you and yeah, it's not. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. and then again the use of uh I can never remember the actor's name, J. Jo- J. Jonah Jameson from Sam Raimi Spider Man. Um, um uh <sighs> Starts oh, with a, I'm looking it, it up now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, if you, if you, if you hadn't forgotten, I would have absolutely been able to tell you. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> because you forgot, my brain was like, yep, you should forget yep. that too. But like that, J.K. Simmons. Thank J.K. You, J.K. Simmons. Uh, his performance in Portal Two yeah. as like the founder of this, uh, this lab. Exactly. Uh, so much great work. Well, not on, oh, sorry. And in and in and in Portal Two, they do such a great job at at like graphic and industrial design as well. As you go from aperture science being this very utopian streamlined sleek beautiful place with such everything's perfectly spaced white tile exactly perfect to you watching it slowly fall apart and you and you watch how the design changes over the decades it it, it feels it feels kind of like uh it feels kind of like westworld in that way and I, you know the parallels there go deeper but they do a really great job at changing the design in subtle ways to show you the changing mind of the creator yep. of Aperture Science, and, and then when it goes away from him and enters, end up, ends up in Glados's hands. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it's those those little things that just create that deeper investment. Yeah, that's kind of the the cool thing about this is like a lot of what the games we've been talking about. Uh, Portal, had they not done any of that, Portal would still be a great puzzle game. Like, yeah, the, it'd, be, the it'd core, be fun. It'd be fun. The core mechanics are engaging enough that like. All of this stuff that we're talking about, to a certain degree, is extraneous to like the actual mechanical enjoyment of the game. Yeah, but it does so much to make the world feel like a more real place, which does so much more to draw you in beyond just the pure like puzzle solving aspect. Yeah, mm-hmm. that this is the kind of stuff that takes Portal from being like this is a cool idea of a puzzle game to yeah. a game that is still being talked about. 10, 11 years after it came out. Well, to me, it's are... like, you know, Snipper Clippers. Oh, which is so a, good. <laughs> such a, it's a, such a fun game. I'd always recommend it. And it's a good diversion, you know? But it's similar in that it's a co-op, this co-op thing where you have to, you know, think creatively. But it doesn't have a narrative in the way that Portal does that really makes Portal so much more. Yeah. yeah. Snipper Clips yeah. has a wonderful aesthetic that oh, makes yeah. it a fun game to look. And, like, it's, it's a feel-good game. But, like you're saying... The, the coupling of Portal's narrative with all of this attention to detail in the environment. Though, if, if you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, decided, you know, Super Close makes me think about it's pure, like purely aesthetic. Something I think that 
Nintendo has done such a great job of, and I, I think to the Wii, you know, growing up, I, I wasn't allowed to have any video game systems. We got, uh, we, we borrowed a neighbor's N64 for probably about four years. Um, and he, and <laughs> nice my, long borrow. And then my brother took it to college, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Daniel Olson, if you're out there, I, I apologize. Um, fun, fun fact about Daniel Olson, we once, me and my brothers, when we were young idiots, we did a bad Pokemon trade and he gave us his Charizard and we went back and bragged to my dad and my dad, being the good father he was, made us go back and give it back. Um, uh, but... You know, the only time I would really play video games was when I would go play at my friend Theo's house and we would play Wii and we would play that like Wario game pack. I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, I don't remember what the Wii one was called. It was one of the Wario Wario lands. I think probably that, yeah. But I see it now with the Switch too. They've done such a great job at creating this like very light aesthetic, this very fun thing that's like, hey, this is not... You know, this is not Horizon Zero Dawn. This isn't this huge game engine with this huge world building. But Mm. this is super easy to get into, and the aesthetic is light, and the instructions are clear, and you're just going to have fun doing this. I think uh, one of my favorite things about playing the original WarioWare is how the levels are, or rather the the mini-games are kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? They're they're segmented. Uh, they're, They're kind of placed into their own category. Yeah. And each category kind of has its own framing device, which yeah. kind of informs the type of mini-games that you'll be playing. Yep, and each category is then overseen by, like, a character MC with a very clear sort of genre aesthetic. There's, like, the the guy with the big blue afro and the disco V-neck, mm-hmm. and then yeah, there's yeah, yeah. the, like, I don't remember any of these characters' uh, there's names. There's Mona but Pizza. I... She's, like, a, a pizza delivery girl. Dylan's yes. got and names. There's there's the, yeah, yeah, there's, I got you. There's Cat <laughs> and Anna, the two ninja girls. There's, like... They did uh, such a great job of, like, e- even in this, like, goofy party game where, like, the games all look like Monty Python opening animations, yeah. <laughs> they still took the time to think about what are the personalities of the characters we're putting in here and what kinds of games would each of them yeah, you cre- be overseeing. It creates investment. It creates investment. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, is there a game that does a really bad job at, at world building uh, oh. Or, oh, or I'm sure there are, but I'm not going to be able to think of any immediately. <laughs> uh, I don't want to burn any bridges. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I, the one the one that came, comes to mind has already burned their own bridge. But I guess um, Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm, that's yep. fair. Was <laughs> talk to us about Mass Effect Andromeda. I so I Mass Effect is sort of the first. You know, when I left college and and got a video game system. Uh, well, I didn't. I mean, my I didn't get one. My roommate had one. Kip Clark, who we we all know, mm-hmm. recommended yeah. Mass Effect, and I got it and really enjoyed it because yeah. there's such a distinct world and world building. We, we talked actually a little bit last week about Mass Effect because we were talking about like kind of flashbulb game moments yeah. for us, and mm-hmm. for me it was one of the like payoff moments in Mass Effect Three, uh, yeah, involving the choices made in the previous games. That yeah, was like man, Mass Effect Three is. I've gone back and played that one maybe two, two or three times. Mass Effect Two, I like started another playthrough and was like, well, I don't know, I don't. The like, you have to mine so much, and yeah. <laughs> building the team is kind of boring. Um, but Mass Effect Three does a really incredible job, and so when it's like Mass Effect Andromeda, yes, I'm excited for this. But then they went from this idea of open world building to every planet is just kind of the same puzzles over and over again. So there's not really any new 
stuff. There's not any new terrains, any new world building as you go. And there isn't the same amount of, there's not the Citadel. There's not, you know, I mean, maybe there is later on. I really didn't get very far because the controls were also very confusing. (laughs) And, you know, it's a really unfortunate end to a great series. Yeah. And from what I'd heard development-wise, I think that it had a pretty messy development cycle. It It did, yeah. There's a a great long-form piece of I mean, I don't remember where it was. Um, Alex sent it to me but about the development and how they just pulled a lot of money from it and started taking people off the team and moving it over to Anthem. Yeah. Um, which which also had a really rough development yeah, cycle. Yeah, that did not oh, do them boy. any good. Yeah. The Mass Effect game is actually a... Uh, it's a fun segue into an idea I had for sort of the, the, latter, the latter portion of the show. We're about like 24 minutes okay, in. Okay, perfect. That seems like a good time to... Uh, head to the playbill. Well, okay. for you, that is, uh, we take a, a minute in the middle to talk about other things that are going on. Amazing. Uh, plug stuff. And yeah, so we'll we'll do that now. I'll probably cut this explanation out. Great. In the <laughs> editing room. Uh, <laughs> then, I will, then I will say, fart. <laughs> now it has, to, well, now we have to keep it. Thanks, So to start with, Will, what do you have going on? Where can people find stuff about you? Plug, plug your shit. Uh, well, I, I don't think I've said it yet, but I'm on Instagram at Brick of Chicago, Brick singular of Chicago, and online at www.brickofchicago.com. Uh, I lead architecture tours, uh, of course, with an emphasis on the brick. Um, I sort of have a trio set up currently right now of Pulaski Park and Noble Square in Chicago, which feature uh, beautiful Victorian-era brick um, and sort of the early industrialization of brick. Um, and then Rogers Park uh, as well in the north end of Chicago, which is the 20s, which I consider like the height of innovation in brick and brick building. Uh, and then finally, a new one I'm going to run probably on August 10th uh, here is in the Fulton Market District, uh, which is a beautiful old uh, historic warehouse district that's now really become sort of this very uh, bougie uh, new restaurant area. And so you have a real great mix of uh, historic industrial brick use, but also these new brick buildings that are going in that are doing really innovative things with brick that also tie into the culture and nature of the area so those are my those are my uh, current three trios of tours so look out for look out for those yeah anyone who's in the chicagoland area should definitely look into those i have not been not able to go on one yet because scheduling is difficult come on you you got a free ticket you got a free ticket anytime you want to come yeah absolutely (laughs) we'll be checking one of those out and really do follow brick of chicago on instagram they're it's a weird thing to think would be really engaging, but like the close-ups that Will gets of like the the brick layouts and I mean, it's the... it's a window into history yeah. from what yeah. I'm hearing. At least I haven't. I I'm learning about this today. It's but, it's uh... delightful. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah, cool. And people have said it's very soothing, yeah, um, which mm-hmm. I I can see. Yeah. It's a very just like you're scrolling through Instagram and you'll come across just like a nice symmetrically laid out like little snippet of brick with a caption about why it's laid out this way yeah. and what these bricks are about, and it's. It's delightful. Um, they've all got stories. Dylan, you yes. you know a lot more about anime than I do. It's true, <laughs> I do. And you recently have been doing more more projects with that. Why don't you tell me where I can find your musings about a specific 
semi-obscure early 80s mecha anime. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'll keep this I'll keep this brief. So, I am doing a series with your friend and mine, Chris, uh actual doujin character Coop. <laughs> that was the weirdest Twitter thread I've ever been a part of and I hated it. <laughs> Uh, no I was just trying to spread some audience. love to the voice acting community on tw- on Twitter, and w- Coop comes in with like, "I'm in Japanese porn," and then you're like, mm, "Yes, okay, you are." Okay, okay. <laughs> Dojinchi is not always Japanese porn. <laughs> it just means self published comic. Oh, really? That's an important distinction. Okay, that's oh. that is an important <laughs> distinction. You, but you also did aware. say not always, which implies that <laughs> sometimes, too often, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is known in the Western consciousness as porn. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, anywho, hi Dylan's parents. <laughs> hi, my younger siblings. <laughs> oh God, they listen to. Yep, this, they don't do. They? <laughs> Tell us about your podcast. Fart. Yeah. There we okay. Go. <laughs> well, I wanted to keep this brief. Um, so yes, we talk about this old, uh, semi-obscure '80s due to copyright issues and whatnot. Um, it is an '80s anime called Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. And on this show, we, we talk about it, we examine it as a work of sci-fi, as a romance story, and like how it kind of tackles this, uh, this conflict between uh, military lifestyle and uh, culture and pop culture. Um, and it's, it's like it's a cocktail of a lot of interesting ideas, and we, we kind of examine how they're explored and if they're explored as well as we'd like them to be. Um, and it's, it's a fun time. Uh, so if you want to check that out, that is going to be at anchor.fm slash dude, that is D-U-D-E, you remember. We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts, and you can also check us out on social media at facebook.com slash dude, you remember, and Twitter at dude, you remember. You should also go and show some love to our friends over at the Unexplored Places podcast. It's an actual play podcast run by our friend Christine. Uh, they recently wrapped season one, which is phenomenal. It's a great like monster story uh, season that they did. We're getting prepped for season two, which is going to involve both me and Dylan as player characters, which Sweet. we're both really excited for. Um, and there's also a bunch of uh, Patreon exclusive stuff that we've been doing with them. They're making some really great stuff in the actual play world. So you can find them on Twitter at unexploredcast or at unexploredcast.libsyn.com. One thing I'm really excited about, there's another, there's an uh, audio drama podcast I plug it here every week called Unwell a Midwestern Gothic Mystery it is one of the coolest audio dramas I've been listening to recently and I was lucky enough to be cast for a very minor part in the final episode which is releasing in like two or three weeks sweet uh, I think I am also have like one line in the background of episode 11 which is coming out this coming week I Wh- want to say what's the line give us a preview uh, I honestly don't remember <laughs> it's something about being really excited to be at the, the celery festival at the celery festival the celery festival <laughs> okay uh, it's Honestly, like, even if I wasn't involved, it, I would be saying that it is one of the coolest audio dramas being produced right now. They're doing a lot of cool stuff uh, in the editing room. Actually, another mutual friend of ours, uh, Hannah Ferschler, did the uh, the sound design for the last episode to come out, I think, episode 9 or 10. Um, Amazing. But it's a, it's a phenomenal show, and you should definitely check it out. They're on Twitter at Unwell Podcast, I believe. Yes, Unwell Podcast. Uh, and you can also find them wherever you get your podcasts. And... As always, we just want to say thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Uh, your support is awesome. We don't have to spend any money to keep this show running, which is incredible, and really was the big goal when we set up the Patreon. So thank you guys for being awesome and helping us not go into the red, making this weird little passion project that we like to do. If you want to help us out, we've got some different 
Patreon rewards like a Discord server, and we've got uh, some blooper reel episodes coming out soon, as well as a bonus episode on the three unities that you guys voted on, because you're apparently as big theater nerds as we are. <laughs> uh, Can't wait to tackle that. It's going to be a weird one. Uh, what are, what are they? <laughs> time, place, and uh, character? Story. Time, story. Unity, story. plot, I Unity think is the plot. technical the technical term. Sure, sure. Uh, so you can find that at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Uh, if you want to support us, that's awesome. If you don't, that's fine. Maybe if you like us and don't just just don't feel like throwing money, tell your friends about us. I think that's all we have for that. Really do check out Brick of Chicago on Instagram. It's a delight. It's like my favorite thing of opening Instagram most of the time because Thanks, man. <laughs> the rest of my Instagram is just like people showing off things that they're doing that are cooler than what I'm doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, is, that sounds like a backhanded compliment. I mean, a little bit, but... <laughs> Uh, we hopping back in, boys? Yes. Let hop back me. in. We're just going to talk about some specific settings and some specific screenshots from games and look at how they are using all of these things that we've been talking about with environmental storytelling uh, in practice and what they're what they're doing with that. Let's look at a game that we've talked about already, but honestly, like a really iconic scene or setting in this oh, game. Yeah, yeah. The bridge of the Starship Normandy yeah. in the Mass Effect series. Yeah. It's great. It's like... 100% just a pastiche of science fiction yeah, yeah. imagery. But really that's what a lot of this kind of stuff is. Like yeah. when you're when you're putting together a scene that is meant to be evocative to an audience, all you have to work with is stuff they already know. Well, and that makes me think of uh taking set design in college yeah. and I don't know, remember we read something about how, you know, you can do as much research as I, I think this is in the um Robert Edmonds book which is the name I can't remember right now but it doesn't matter what the reality of a design should be you know what 12th century Scotland really looks like people have an expectation of what Scotland looks like and what Macbeth should look like mm-hmm. and that's what you need to play to you know and so for a game like Mass Effect that's making me think of like Commander Worf's or uh, Lieutenant Worf's uh, uh, weapons console in, yep. in Star Trek The Next Generation. You've got this big mm-hmm. open world with, like, consoles lining the walls. Yeah. You've got, like, a map of the galaxy floating there as a hologram. It's it's very Star Trek. Mass Effect's trying to be very Star Trek, yeah. and so it, that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Well, all those consoles make me think very much of, you know, Star Wars and, like, mm-hmm. the leading up to the firing of the, of the Death Star yep. and, you know, just those trenches with, with the computers in them. Yep. Which itself is drawing on real-world consciousness. Like, Star Wars did that because Star Wars was being produced in the decade immediately after the moon landing, in which people had been watching on television for the first time, watching the control room at NASA. Yeah, 50 years ago today. 50 years ago today, friends. So they were able to build that on this new understanding of what space management, for lack of a better term, looks like. And they were able to just take that idea and dress it up and in Im- Star Wars. And then that has since influenced all of the sci-fi imagery that has come since. And it makes it so much easier to engage with the game that much faster. Or, you know, this game doesn't really do that. But if you think about set design or something, you can, if you you play on that, you can bring people in, set up an expectation, and then uh, subvert it or change it, mm-hmm. you know. You're gonna you're gonna have a, this beautiful home, and then some I don't know crazy shit's gonna happen to it or something. Yeah, there. Uh, I recently saw here in Chicago um, the children at Steppenwolf. I don't mm-hmm. know if you mm-hmm. got to see that. I little. did not know. Uh, it's a play about the the basic premise is what if Fukushima happened in like the English countryside? Yeah. Um, okay. And so it follows 
this couple, this older couple who worked at this nuclear power plant, and they are now dealing with nuclear fallout. And its set design was incredible because it was like they built this one room cabin with like the front cut away so we could look into it. Yeah. But it was like ever so slightly off. Mm -hmm. Like the perspective Mm -hmm. was just like played with just a little bit in the way that it was set up, which we see all of the trappings of like kind of provincial rural life for an upper class family. But from the minute you walk in, something is slightly wrong. Something is wrong. That's a really, that's another really great thing that you can do with this idea of playing to what the audience already knows about. Todd Rosenthal's set for the Christmas Carol the Goodman uh, does a really great job of that as well. Scrooge's house is this very gothic uh, building that we can see inside of all these huge pointed arches, but it's forced perspective where the right side is enormous and then the left side, everything just tapers and skews oh, that's really down. Cool. Yeah, it's very... Actually, I still have yet to see uh, the Goodman's Christmas Carol. It's fine. That, that's kind of that, what I've that, heard. That set description <laughs> makes me think of like Dr. Caligari. Mm-hmm. 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 Very German, uh, yeah. German expressionist. Yeah. Like everything's off in on purpose. Uh, Dylan, you said you had an image to share? Uh, yeah, okay. So I guess it's time now. So I, I want to talk about uh, like story in the, the scenery. So I've been playing through Silent Hill 2 for the good. first time. Oh, yes. Um, oh, that, and... I... I, I have played it. I have never beaten it because I am a scaredy cat. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> I, I, I don't typically play horror games, but one of my friends who was super into horror games was like, all right, yeah, but we're playing Silent Hill too, though. <laughs> uh, and so, you said, why do you hate me? Yeah, well, it's actually, that's the weird thing. Silent Hill 2 isn't a very scary game. Most of the horror is from... Will and the, I just gave each other a look like, oh. <laughs> Are you sure? Hey, Dylan. Well, okay. Hey, Dylan. Hey, Dylan. Are you sure? <laughs> okay, let, let let me let me rephrase this. So I I play I I've played a lot of Resident Evil and I love Resident Evil, but there's also this feeling of dread when it comes to playing Resident Evil because like there is such a fear of failure in those games. Silent Hill 2 so far has felt a lot more forgiving actually. Okay. Um, so it it's not as mechanically frightening for yeah. you. Okay, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um I, I guess to to further like go into the difference between these two games, Silent Hill Two. It's not so much scary. There's not a whole lot of jump scares. Like so much as like there's this feeling of unpleasantness and that mm-hmm. things are not right. Um, in Resident Evil, you fear death. In Silent Hill Two, <laughs> yes, I do. In fact, well, yes. <laughs> thank I you. Mean, for, like, thank you for telling me. <laughs> but like in, in Silent Hill Two, like obviously there is the fear of death, but like you have a lot more. I don't want to say agency, but like it, death is feels easier to avoid. Like you don't feel like you have to be a master of the mechanics to keep yourself alive in Silent Hill Two. Right. So most of the fear is actually just trying to navigate the space. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you you are you are for those who haven't who don't know what Silent Hill is. Uh, basically, every game is its own story, and uh, you are exploring what is essentially a ghost town that is overrun by demons or like demon-esque creatures or otherwise horrible beasties and sometimes they represent uh your subconscious and that's that's pleasant um (laughs) famously uh in silent hill 2 there's the main sort of antagonistic character of pyramid head Mm -hmm. who is very much a ref like is intended as a manifestation of the main character's like suppressed 
sexuality and like masculine uh insecurities yes so I, i've kind of beaten around the bush long enough but uh so yes you're you're going around this uh ghost town and it is shrouded in fog and there is not a single soul left there and that alone is eerie but on top of that there is a lot of uh improbable space there was one segment where i was walking down the street and then i loaded into the next zone and instead of a street um it was like this weird kind of black void and there wasn't oh, a relaxing. floor. <laughs> there wasn't a floor. There was like I think it was like a chain link fence that I was walking on, but like it was it was oriented so that it was the floor, it was the ground. And you're just kind of doing that. Uh, there's another part where like you're on an uh, you're in an, you're an ex- you're exploring an apartment complex, and eventually the only way left to go once you've thoroughly explored it is there's a key that will take you on to the fire escape. And so you're like, all right, I can, I'm expecting to explore. It's either the fire escape or like the roof of like the building. And so you open this door thinking that's where you're going to be. But when you open the door, there's another building like right there. And so instead of going to where you thought you were going to go, mm. you actually climb into this next building. It, it okay. completely messes with like the schematics of the map that you are reading and what you expect of the space really in cool. your head. Yeah, it disorients you. Yeah, it was it was such a bait and switch. I had no expectation of it. Uh, it completely came out of nowhere. And and the game is like full of moments like that. And uh, according to my friend, it uh, where I'm at, it only gets uh, more crazy from there. That's awesome. Uh, there was... <sighs> last night I was playing it. Uh, there was a stairway that takes so long to go down... I actually thought it might have been like that, like the Super Mario 64 Infinite Stairway. <laughs> and so I thought to turn around, but then that took so long. So I'm like, wait, no, maybe it is like an actual stairway. It's just really long. And so there was like a solid two minutes of like doubt as I was going back and forth on this stairway, seemingly never reaching the bottom. They're effectively so cre- cool. creating doubt and madness in you, which then is going to heighten your experience of the game. Exactly. It's yeah. it's incredibly unsettling and it's amazing but another thing i wanted to talk about was um there's also on your map there's like because you're exploring like pretty mundane buildings like there's apartment buildings uh some doors will be unlocked some won't you know you have the whole schematic and there will be some doors that you'll see on your map that are just like cemented over oh that's relaxing (laughs) um and there's just this idea of like this uh, this building has been constantly changing and reshaping uh, itself. And now I'm going to send you uh, a couple pictures. Well, you're doing you, that. Movie, uh, thank you, Movie Magic Chris, for yeah, editing this you're bullshit welcome. out. Silent Hill is also a really interesting example of a game using its limitations to its advantage. So Silent Hill 2, a lot of the game is spent wandering around like the streets of this town. But Silent Hill 2 was released on the PlayStation. PlayStation 2. Was, oh yeah, it was one. a super early PlayStation 2 game. But either way, Silent, the PlayStation 2 is not the most robust console and was not able to render the environments as far out as you would be able to see if you were actually wandering around in this like kind of sparsely, like not particularly dense town. Yeah. And so what they did is they introduced mist. They mm-hmm. made the environment super foggy so that you couldn't see far enough for the rendering distance to become a problem and in doing that really made the aesthetic of that game when people think of silent hill 2 they think about like this creeping fog that's stopping you from being able to see far enough to know if you're safe that's an interesting idea cuz 
thinking back on Mass Effect 3, uh, a thing they introduced to, you know, they have the elevators that force that, but when you're on the Normandy, moving between the like war room and the bridge, you have to like go through a scanner and there's always two like yeomen there who are talking and it's different every time. Yep. And it's like, I'm glad they put in that conversational element, but I do sort of wish they had made a better mechanic going from, you know, like I'm running from the war room and now I have to stop and be still for a while. I, I feel like that, that was a piece of the game that frustrated me. I yeah. wish they had, had, mm. had made that loading necessity a little cleaner. Yeah. If they had found some different way of masking. Yeah. Usually that. they just have you go through like smaller rooms uh, and let, make the doors take a little longer, you know, but whatever it was about that when they needed more time. Yeah. It was, it was a, a good enough solution, but it, you know, uh, Chris, are these images loading for you they... properly? Oh, yep. No, they definitely loaded properly. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Remind me what I'm, I'm looking we're lo- at. We're looking at some some Silent Hill. Silent Hill. Stuff. So, yeah, that's uh, that's relaxing. Yeah. Um. Mm. So I never said I, or if I did say it was a soothing game, I should have. <laughs> you you did not say it was a soothing yeah, game. I, I, okay. Good. That Good. cousin I'm said glad. that it's not a soothing game. Because uh, I. I like maybe it's soothing in relation to Resident Evil, but even then, uh, I would never call Silent Hill soothing. So, uh, Dylan, do you want to do you want to audio describe what yes. we're looking at here? I, I do. So, the, I, oh, I yeah. do theatrical audio description. There you go. I can audio describe it for you. Knock it out, Will. <laughs> All right. Um, just so you know, theatrical audio description is describing the events uh, or set of a play in a in a very clinical tone for people who are blind or low vision. All right. It uh, appears to be a window or where there was a large sliding window that has been newspapered over. The newspapers are water-stained, and there is in either blood or a red spray paint uh, scrappy writing that reads, There was a hole here, period. It's gone now. And the walls look to be water-stained concrete and with rusty things, and there's electrical cords hanging in front of the viewer, and it is just creepy as hell. Yeah, it's really relaxing to look at. (laughs) (laughs) I would need to be more familiar with the game to know if, like, this is an area you've been to already, and, like, now it's just changed, and it's wrong. Um, Or if, like, this is your first time seeing it, but, like, that's still a very unnerving message to see. That's... Not something that would be relaxing. There's also one more image that Dylan has sent us to yes. haunt, our, so, haunt our dreams. I'll, I'll, I'll give context for this one before um, we get there. There are a couple other NPCs in Silent Hill, and uh, you're not entirely sure which one gives you this letter, but someone leaves a letter for you to find and says to meet them at this place, and they'll, they'll, they found a way to help you get to the hotel, which is where James is trying to go. He thinks his... Uh, dead wife is there. And Will, would you like to work your movie magic? <laughs> oh boy, alright. So we have another concrete wall. There is mold growing down from the top and some bluish plaster that is crumbling off. In that same chill child chicken scratch spray paint or blood, it says, if you really want to see Mary, you should just all caps, die. But you might be heading to a different place than Mary, period. James. Don't, don't much care for it. Don't mind telling you. It's yeah, no, it's it's a very uh <laughs> it's I mean it's effective. I yeah. mean it's shit like that. I I just realized am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course. Oh, yes, great. yes. Shit. Yeah, no, we we earn the explicit tag on iTunes. Great. Um <laughs> you know, I I can't watch sh- stuff like The Walking Dead or you know 28 days later or play games like that, but the, the world building is just so enticing to me. I've read mm-hmm. so many Wikipedia articles uh, on this stuff and like shit like that 
is really appealing to me. He's very, very, you know, messages spray painted on the walls with just enough information to, to draw you in and freak you out and make you want more. It's yep, super yep, appealing. Yep. I don't want to actually engage with it, <laughs> but the world building is that's really, really effective. No, it's really I feel, effective. I feel you on that. Well, the, I've, I've said this before on the podcast. I love having experienced the horror genre. I do not like the act of experiencing the horror genre. That's, it's it's that's funny. Fair. I feel that same way about playwriting. I hate writing a play. <laughs> Every time I start writing again, I go to my girlfriend and say, why have I done this? I hate this. Every time I hate it. But once I have written the play, I'm like, I, I'm so glad I did this. This is so wonderful. I, it's I, it's like I'm told, you know, uh, after giving birth, the, the, a woman's body is flooded with hormones to make her forget the experience. And I have a very small, very small, not really related version of that when I when I write a play, uh, you know. Uh, Will, do you want to do you want to send your chosen image to Dylan real quick? Yeah. So, okay, so yeah. I I pulled up some images. Uh, Dylan, I don't know if you've played the game The Long Dark. I have not. I have no. not either. Um, so I've heard of it. I've let heard me good search. things. Um, so The Long Dark is a Canadian game, and the the basic idea of it is you're you are a sort of bush pilot, and mm. your plane and there's a like a world electromagnetic event, and your plane crashes in the middle of the Canadian Arctic, um, and stylistically, it's sort of I don't know, like it's it's giving me like kind of dishonored vibes. It's got that same like yeah, I can see that painterly realistic. Yeah, it's like it's a very sort of there's painter aspects, almost like a paper um, cut aspect to it. But it's you know oh, that's that's really pretty. Yeah, it's like yeah, Can- I, it's I'm like Canadian yeah. wilderness, and it's it's very expansive. It's very open, um, and it's the middle of the winter. And the idea is, you know, there is a, a narrative structure uh, version you can play, but mostly it's just drops you in the middle of somewhere and you have based on the level of of difficulty you've, uh selected it gives you a different loadout but each time it's a different a different loadout of you have you know this amount of gear or this amount of food and then you just go and you find and you look for things and you can always see your breath in front of you and based on oh, how I cold it is that. that day you can see more or you can see less um and there'll be blizzards and there's one of the most important things is there's no map you have no so mass. Good. So yes. you can, yes. you know, I played a, a, a round once where I had found this house and it was full of stuff. And you, the based on each map has a different difficulty, but each map is also huge and they bleed into each other too. And so there's one where there's a town and gas stations and houses and stuff and you can jump between them. But you have to be very careful because there's animals that there's, they've sort of said, hey, in this world, the animals have gotten crazy too. <laughs> um, so you have to constantly be looking out for out for wolves that are going to attack you. But I was playing one where it was slightly more open, but I found a house and there was a gun in the house. But it's it's kind of like um, The Last of Us in that you, you're you not guaranteed to find bullets anywhere either. Mm-hmm. And so I left, I had one bullet and I left to go find bullets. And I had all these leathers tanning and stuff and I had, this house had been like set up and I followed us, I was following this ridge and then a blizzard hit and I was lost. And I was just completely oh. lost. And you can see, and there's trees, and there's expansive things, but you can kind of pick out some. They give you enough landmarks that if you're really smart, you can do it. But it's similar to that staircase you described, Dylan, is that you start to doubt yourself because it's oh, just man. this white wilderness. That like, That's am exquisite. I going the right way? And you're following. I'm following this ridge, but am I going the right way? And 
I just lost the house. The house was gone. It was just gone. It's the other th- thing it does is you have to build fires to warm yourself up and to cook and to melt snow and to purify water. But where a lot of games are going to make it so you can't walk into your fire, you can just walk into the fire and then you're hurt and then you have burns <laughs> and then you need to treat yourself and you need to use these first aid kits you have and your clothing starts to degrade and you need to keep up your calorie count. Um, oh my God. And within all of this, there's still, the, this is very style. It's just beautiful. What is this game called again? I need it's to called get this. The Long Dark. It's a Canadian game. It's not that expensive. It's maybe 15 bucks on Steam. Um, okay. It's, I highly recommend it. Um, the narrative is pretty nice. Is The narrative version is pretty good too. Cause it's, it's a similar, he's looking for his, uh, I believe his ex-wife in the wilderness, okay. but it's, you know, it's super good. I've never gotten to the point where, you know, you can easy, pretty easily survive at the beginning. You're finding things and eating them. But slowly, the map you're in, this area you're in, is running out of resources in this way. So you have to start fishing. You have to start hunting. Uh, and you have to, you know, start curing deer gut to make fishing line. And then you have to, you know, start being able to cook this fish and make your own clothing. Because at a certain point, you can't find any more clothing and it's going to degrade enough and you can't repair it anymore. And a lot of the things you do, a lot of them have very slim success ratings so you might try to start a fire with this last match this last book and there's only a 15 percent chance it's going to start that that anecdote you told about the house is so good because not only are they setting up a narrative of like this was a place where someone was and yeah. some, like someone was here before you yeah. surviving in the way that you have to now they're gone it's building this like not necessarily a story but like there's a narrative there that makes the world feel more alive. Yeah. But yeah. then also in getting lost in that blizzard, the mechanics of the game created a new story for you. Yeah. In that place. That's so cool. I and, love that. And based the the craziest thing is based on the temperature your experience of the various days your experience is different. Yeah, there's blizzards, they're gonna block your view that are gonna trap you in a place. Um, but then there's also some days, you know, to get to a different place you need to go across the ice. But some days that ice is solid. Some days that ice is not. Oh, so and then cool. suddenly you're in the water. And, and oh, the, you know, you, the, you don't actually, you, you know, basically suddenly the game, will, it'll be like thin ice. Watch out. And then suddenly it'll freeze. Everything will stop. And, be, and you sort of go blue. And then you're on the shore. And now your clothing is soaked. And your body temperature is rapidly dropping. And you've got to get back somewhere, wherever it is. And you've got to dry off. Ooh. Oh, my God. It's a, gr- oh. it's a great game. I highly, I highly recommend it. It's been, I had to, my, you know, with all the pictures I have on my computer, my computer sort of started to move slower and, and not have the, the power for mm. games. And so it, 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 you want a good engine, um, which I, I, I assume you guys both have, to be yeah, able to it, get, it, get a great experience. It looks like it's also on PS4, so that oh, might great, be... Yeah the direction i take yeah that's um, so i highly cool. recommend it and it's, I, it's just i have two things beautiful. to say yeah okay one this sounds amazing and i i really enjoy everything you just said two this game sounds infinitely more stressful than my time with silent <laughs> I, mean, I mean it, it is especially because uh you know with the idea that these wolves are just gonna attack you or there's bears too you know, I I sort of shot myself in the foot in a way of where I would be playing, you know, a lot of uh, uh, when I would play games on my computer is would be I'd be sitting in the living room with my roommate. He's playing Bloodborne. He's playing, you know, a lot of Destiny 2 on the PS4, the TV. And I'm sitting in a chair next to him playing a game on my computer uh, off of Steam. And so I'd be playing it, but I'd, I'd have the sound off uh, because there's not a lot oh. of, you know, sound engagement you need with the 
with the game and because I don't want to interrupt him. And so I couldn't hear when the wolves were coming. And so (laughs) I'd be like hustling to get to a car and then suddenly boom flash there's a wolf there and it's attacking me and you just have to fight whoopsies um you know that also creates this thing where there's cars sort of scattered in between places that are sometimes open sometimes lock and you like turn around and there's a wolf running at you and it's you can see it far enough away it's like do i have enough do i have a flare can i scare it off do i have fire can i scare it off no better get to that car and you're running to the car and then you sit in the car you're sitting in this car and you're just watching this wolf circle and you know it circles for a while before it goes away and you have to kind of keep waiting to think like and everything's real time everything's real time yeah yeah um except I was about when to you, say is there is there like menu management or is that all like out in the there's you can sleep you can sleep um mm. to skip time or you could you can sort of pass time and like play solitaire i think is their mechanic <laughs> but everything else is real time your your calories are reducing your tiredness is increasing your thirst is increasing um and you have to then go through and like pick what are you going to eat and your food is also spoiling in real time too mm. oh man there's <laughs> there's a lot of games recently that have been that have been playing in that like survival resource management kind of space yeah. this sounds the most fun out of any of those that i've come across it's it's yeah, super fun fair. it's super fun <laughs> and again i can't stress enough it's just so beautifully put together um in 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 the design of it it's this very very artistic very uh, impressionist way i sent another image to talk about but i honestly feel like that's a pretty good like high note to end on yeah i was i i had one i had two that were super on brand but you know what no i think yeah I think <laughs> let's, we're good. let's leave it with that that was that was rad thank you all for listening to this week's episode of backstage gaming thank you will for being a guest it was super fun to have you and hey to... thank you for having me on it's been it's been a real pleasure yeah. i i don't yeah. have a ton of engagement with video games just because my parents forbid them as a child but <laughs> it's you know it's it's fun to fun to talk about the ones that I've I've discovered and really loved. Yeah. Well, this is also a theater podcast, so yeah. yes, I think exactly. you brought that in spades. Yeah. So thank you. One more time, do check out Brick of Chicago on Instagram. Give them a follow. They, It's really relaxing. It's a delightful thing to see. It, 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 I will say it's funny to hear you refer to it as they because uh, it really is just me. I, I'm when, aware. That came I, out of my mouth. I was like, hang on. No, that's entirely Will. Uh, no, because when I, when I like do tours, I, I have a little form asking people how they found the page uh, and things. And it's funny to see like friends and family members will buy tickets and be like, oh, Will is a friend. He told me about it. It's like, it's it's just me running this too. Yeah. Uh, it's the whole the whole you can enterprise write down, is just you told me to come. It's just me. Okay. Give Brick of Chicago a follow. Uh, if you're in the Chicago area, definitely go on one of the tours. I'll try to now that I actually have a job that gives me weekends free. I'll try to make my way to one at some point soon. But yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, as always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Really, if you like what we're doing, leave an iTunes review, leave a rating, tell us what you think, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your local brick enthusiast. I assume there must be one in every city. There are. I actually have um, uh, a lot of internet friends in various uh, cities who are are brick enthusiasts. There, there's there's two people in Greenville, South Carolina, who are brick enthusiasts. Well, there you go. I know it's wild. Uh, <laughs> and. As always, you can find us at our website, bsgpod.com. That's where we keep all of our episodes if you want, if you don't want to bother with like a podcatcher. Uh, it's also got a contact form if you want to reach out. It's got bios about me and Dylan. Give the site a look if you feel so inclined. Um, if you want to check us out on social media, uh, you can find us on Facebook, our Twitter. Our handle is at bsg underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. 
Um, and if you like what we talk about, uh, you want to talk about other stuff in Silent Hill 2 that I might not have mentioned, you want to talk about games that you think utilize space in a cool way, you know, whatever, uh, use the hashtag BSGPod. Share photos of bricks from around your town with the hashtag BSGPod, I guess. Yes, please do. We'll send them to Will. Yeah. Are you, well, are you guys on Instagram? Uh, we are. I do very little with it because yeah, I'm not same. good at using Instagram. Well, I'm, I'm just somewhere for me because I'll, I'll post about this on bricks. Sweet. Um, and just somewhere to send, send people. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided us with. If you like it, you should check out his work at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.squarespace.com. You can also check him out on Instagram at instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. One more big thank you to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. Uh, he's a fantastic musician. He's working on a whole bunch of different production projects. He's got an EP out called Post-Human Angst. He's also got an EP that he produced of a bunch of uh, hip-hop artists from around the country called Lynx Volume 1. And you can find all of that by going to Spotify and searching BioQuery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by heading to BioQuery. No, that's not how those websites are laid out. By heading to SoundCloud.com slash BioQuery. And one more time, thank you uh, thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. If you like what we do, if you want to throw some money our way to help us uh, improve the production value of this podcast, make new shows, just sort of keep doing what we're doing and making it better, head over there, see what patron rewards look good to you. Consider helping us out that way. We appreciate every single one of you who has done that already. That's all I got. Will, any any last minute comments? No, once again, thanks so much for having yeah, me. It's been it was a pleasure. fantastic to have you. And I guess yeah. that'll do it for us this time. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Bye. Bye. Farts. Farts. <laughs>